0: Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we recap the week that was and what a week it was, thinking back to Monday's rocky session to kick off the week to a highly anticipated Fed policy statement. So today we will unpack it all and examine why markets behaved the way they did. Uh, Joining us for the conversation, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Strategist, Americas with the UBS chief investment office. So, Leslie, good morning, happy Friday, and thank you for joining us for the conversation today. Thank you, Dan. So, Leslie, I know heading into this week, there was a lot of anticipation over the Fed policy statement, which we did receive on Wednesday as a starting point. Can you, Leslie, provide us with your overall reflections and takeaways from the statement? Uh, Any surprises? How did things map up relative to your expectations heading in?
1: Well, you know, the nerves heading into the statement was actually, you know much less than one would have anticipated because frankly the june meeting had you know adjusted a lot of market sentiment in terms of the fed potentially being preemptive on you know inflation rising if in fact you know these supply chain bottlenecks or quote-unquote this transitory effect lasted longer than what's been anticipated and frankly it has so you know the, the market you know sort of came in you know, a little bit more calm than I would have thought. And it was expected that, you know, they would be, quote-unquote, a bit hawkish with what we call the dot plot. And that's really, you know, what they did. And what they did was that, you know, as we know, initially they had two hikes in 2023. They moved that to three hikes in 23. They put on another three hikes in, in 2024. And they also really emphasized the potential to start tapering. Now, the taper part, the market was actually anticipating, but what they, what it wasn't, what they didn't anticipate was how specific, you know, Powell had gotten. And when I say that by the specificity is that, you know, as we've stated many times, it's not about the timing of taper, whether it's December or January, because the market was already pricing that in, but it's about the pace. And he, you know, in the commentary led to the belief that the outlook for the end of taper would be around mid twenty twenty two. When you know when, when he says that, you could do a back of hand calculation and figure out, okay, this is probably when they're starting, you know, which we believe is it could be December of this year, or maybe it could be January, but we'll say December. And you kind of can go through the math in terms of you know when they need to start to do that mid month. Now what the market doesn't know is if in fact, you know, the assumption that we currently have a fifteen billion a month, ten billion in treasuries Five billion in mortgage-backed securities is is what they're going to do. Now, now, we believe they do, but you can get a mid-month by going over a four-month process. Or the pace could be much quicker. We don't think that's the case. I don't think that Powell, given the fact that he does lean a little bit more conservatively, and is still, you know, stating the substantial progress with the caveat that we still have, a, you know, a bit of a room to go in the jobs numbers that that that's going to be something that happens quickly so I mean the market took the hawkishness of the dots you know with that expectation listened to somewhat of the conservative uh, the more dovish statements of Powell and really focused on the fact that they stated by mid-year and as as with that said that's why we saw a bit of a backup sort of like in the marketplace because there's now a little bit more of a comfort level um, and secondly and I know we'll, we'll talk about this a bit later as well you know, the market also felt a little bit of calmness given the fact that he did state that the bar is much different from tapering because we all know that QE now is not as much of a driver as it was back in 2020. The incremental value of quantitative easing is not that great. You know, we have low mortgage rates. We have a strong household balance sheet. You know, the consumer is in, you know, in very good shape overall. Um, but he raised the bar in terms of the bars higher in terms of potential hikes because we do still have a lot of headwinds. But it comes to things like the Delta variant and what these jobs number might actually turn out to be.
0: Thank you for unpacking the Fed statement and providing some observations, some takeaways. I want to run with the market response maybe for a few more moments. So the bond market initially, it did have a relatively muted reaction. We have seen some movement in treasuries over the past a couple of days since the release of the statement. What's your take on the market response, what we've been seeing over the past 48 to 72 hours?
1: Yeah, Dan, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, surprisingly, that the 10-year during the actual statement and that date barely budged at all maybe a basis point but to your point the next day we started to see yesterday we started to see a lot of momentum and we went up to actually last night about a 144 on 10 year yields now I think this is a combination of a few things one is that you know the market or the Fed has sort of reiterated or what we assume to be a very accommodative path they're going to what I call the punch bowl is going to have a slowly not a drain you know when it comes to this, this this tapering and this actually helped things like the equity market as we saw yesterday and even the fixed income market in the sense that high yield spreads are you know around that 305 level that's the tightest we've seen since you know beginning of July you know m- you know mid June and i think that you know the initial market response was you know okay you know, he, he definitely reiterated that we made this substantial progress you know, he's reiterated that you know temporarily, at least longer than what was originally anticipated, his transitory impact from you know uh, his inflation and supply chain bottlenecks might last a bit longer, but it wasn't anything that was you know overly hawkish or more importantly caught the market off guard like it did in June in terms of bad positioning. So we have seen this, we have seen this rise in yields, and part of the rise in yields too, Dan, is because the risk premium over this Evergrande situation actually came down yesterday. So a lot of negative news has been priced into that, you know, the past several weeks, and that's actually been starting to come down a bit as the market sort of either adjusts to what might, the outcome that might occur, or just in overall the equity market needs has become a little bit more stable. So that risk premium coming down overseas also helped, you know, push yields higher. So what we've seen now is that, you know, as expected, the five-year Treasury yield leads the way higher. When, in fact, and we're not saying that we believe that they're going to go in 22, because we don't, but when, you know, the the Fed does start to shift monetary policy, the five-year has a tendency to lead the way. And the five-year yields have been stubbornly low for a very long time, and this has sort of made the real yields, which are the nominal yields minus inflation expectations, very negative. And those negative real yields, when you think about it, are not constructive on growth. And it's not about, you know, adjusting third or fourth quarter growth a little lower because of this Delta variant. But the level of real yields was no way near even the readjusted growth levels, you know, downward. So I think this is a bit of a catch up in terms of what we saw over these summer seasonal technicals as to why we're rising. I think it's part of the market becoming a bit more comfortable with the Fed statement. And, you know, we are, they are going to start to taper and we are not over the not not over the hump but things are improving and it's also part of the fact that part of that risk premium that we saw from you know you know overseas has starting to come down, which is pushing yields higher.
0: The trading activity, market activity, was quite interesting this week, as you pointed out, Leslie. A, a combination of factors contributing to the movements we witnessed. So thank you for unpacking that for us. In light of what we heard from the Fed, Leslie, has your rate outlook at all changed? And I, I'm curious as well, what areas of fixed income look most attractive to you at the moment?
1: You know our. our Rate outlook hasn't changed, and, and trust me, and I, and I will be the first one to um, admit that the level that one twelve level that we had gotten down to um, over the summer was a bit of a surprise. and we, under, we know why, you know, it was what we call the perfect storm. We had a lot of Asia buying because of some of the volatility they were seeing in the equity market, low supply, the June Fed meeting, you know, catching investors off guard, and also too, we had the delta Gray which was, you know, pushing down the growth outlook in terms of what we think the consumer would actually spend in the short term so that drive lower was actually a bit of a more surprise to me um, than what, what I'm seeing right now in 10-year Treasury yields around that 143 area now you know our outlook still remains that we think interest rates trend higher into the end of the year and it's very difficult although we are looking for that 175 level which is around that March high you know it's, it's difficult to pinpoint the exact level because as we are all aware You know, consensus numbers versus actual has had a very big dispersion. You know, last month we were assuming, you know, the non-farm payroll would come in at around, you know, 900,000 or a million jobs. And they came in, you know, in, you know, the twos. So it's it's very difficult during this time. And there's a lot of cloudiness in the data to pinpoint, you know, the expectations versus actual. So what we really want to focus on is the trend. And the trend, we believe, is higher. And the trend we also believe is not only higher in terms of nominal yields, such as the ten-year yield potentially reaching that 175, but also that that five-year area that has really been, as I said, you know, very low in terms of in terms of nominal yield, and very low in terms of real yields to push higher. So when we think about fives, I mean, you know, now that we're at 95, 96 basis points, there's the potential that it moves over 1%. Heading to maybe a 1.2 and five-year five-year yield, pushing real yields slightly higher, not positive, but just less negative. So when we think about what Powell's statement in terms of potential concern that the supply chain variance might last a bit longer and maybe inflation lasts a bit longer than what's expected, we want to make that inflation play uh, combined with our strong fundamental outlook in terms of the equity market and the fundamentals within credit into things like senior loans. Their floating rate, They're very. they're very good in terms of you know, uh, preventing, uh, what we could, they have zero interest rate risk, right? So they're good in terms of you don't have to worry about necessarily the, the, your capital preservation because the fundamentals are so strong in that area and we've had uh, defaults that are the lowest we've seen in 10, 12 years. So we like the senior loan area, not just because of the fundamentals, but the fact that it doesn't have a lot of interest rate risk. And we do think that there'll be a shift into those that are concerned about inflation lasting a bit longer, moving to floating rate versus those sectors that have a high correlation to negative yields, whether it's tips or gold or whatever it might be. So that's the first one. The second one is that we still like the commercial real estate market. We still like the CMBS market. And as we've said, I mean, you know, the opportunity set within fixed income is not large. And it's actually, you know, given some of the movements we've seen in the past couple of days, it's actually, you know, getting spreads are getting even tighter. So, you know, with that small opportunity set we have in fixed income, those there are certain sectors of the market that, in and of it, when you look at compare them to each other, are cheap, like like commercial real estate. Now, CMBS is an asset class. You know these spreads are at their fifty-two week low, and that's not a surprise. However, when you compare them to things like investment grade corporates or even parts of high yield, they still remain cheap. Now there's been, now in terms of, you know, what we think going forward, obviously there's been fits and starts about returning to office and even foot traffic in terms of, you know, things like, you know, malls as we've had a little, you know, pullback in the consumer given the Delta variant. We do think over time this normalizes. So therefore we like things like, you know, commercial real estate and CNBS. And that's also a very good hedge to inflation. So those really are our two main key points in a sector that is right now providing very limited relative value in terms of spreads.
0: Well, Leslie, it's always very helpful to hear your current rate outlook as well as hear your guidance when it comes to positioning within fixed income. So I'm glad we spent a few moments on that. So at this point, I know we're all getting ready to turn the page on what has been a fairly turbulent week in the markets. We did see a lot of volatility uh, working both ways, both to the upside and the downside. As we look ahead to next week, Leslie, what will be taking place that you'll be keeping an eye on that could move markets.
1: Well, listen. I mean, we do. I mean, obviously, we have you know some academic academic data out next week, but nothing that I would consider like a, a market mover, like durables. I mean, we'll, we'll have we'll have part of the um you know, core PCE later in the in, in the in the week. But, I mean, really, the most thing that we have to to really, you know, concentrate on are things that are happening, you know, overseas that's causing volatility, whether it's Evergrande or whether it's volatility within the equity markets that's increasing the buying of U.S. Treasuries. Those are really going to be the big drivers. Um, you know, as we head into... You know, you know, October, the employment report is really going to be part of the key. And then that in October, the, that, employment report that we have, you know, the first Friday of October, which, re- which will reflect September will be important. I mean, given the fact that, you know, I think the Fed will look at it in terms of, in terms of its tapering, you know, when it starts tapering, number one. And number two, it's also going to get, give us a little bit more of an insight in terms of, you know, this, not just the Delta variant, but the impact of, you know, people going back to school, maybe more people going back to work. And so these employment numbers are always really the key because as, you know, the Fed has reiterated, when it comes to price stability and inflation, they think they've reached that goal. You know, when it comes to, you know, quote unquote, full employment, we still, there's still a lot of wood to chop. So I think that's going to be over the next week, the big key. And this week, I think it's going to be about small numbers here and there in terms of durables and PCE, but it's really going to be morally about what's happening overseas and to ensure that that risk premium that's been coming down continues on that path. And we do expect, obviously, you know, rates to sort of continue its trend higher next week, but the overseas right now the overseas is going to be the heavy hand
0: okay so quite a lot to keep an eye out for next week whether it's developments overseas and uh, quite a busy macro calendar it sounds like stateside as well leslie very productive conversation i know we packed a lot into a relatively short period of time but it was very helpful to hear your thoughts on uh, fixed income markets while we saw the activity this week that we did uh, takeaways from the fed statement your current rate outlook and of course expectations for the week ahead a great catching up as always leslie wish you a nice weekend thanks very much Dan. thank you leslie and again today we've been joined by leslie falconio senior fixed income strategist americas with the ubs chief investment office so as a reminder to our clients and their listeners the ubs chief investment office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments asset classes and Portfolio Allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including a recent blog authored by Leslie Falconio, Fixed Income, the Advancing Fed. So for clients of UBS, you can of course contact your financial advisor if you have any questions about the topics covered on today's podcast, or if you would like to receive a copy of Leslie's blog directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast, Podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.